at the back there and I just couldn't help but think we have such a wonderful church. Each and every one of you, such good people, amazing people, and I just love you. (laughs) I just wanted to say that before we get started. Um, But, oh, thank you, Sandy. Um, But I'm really excited to uh, get the privilege, really, of sharing the word with you this morning. And as many of you are aware, we're in a series called Baptised in the Spirit. And so we're talking about what this life looks like, right? Being baptised in the Spirit. And I get the the assignment today to share a bit about uh, spiritual gifts. And I'm excited about this because this has been, yeah, this has been a um, bit of a sticking point for me as a Christian at times, particularly as a new Christian. Um, I just felt like uh, there was so much to know, there was so much to get good at, and I just, I just didn't know where to begin. And um, it's, it took years, really, of getting any kind of traction in learning about spiritual gifts and how to actually operate them and how to move in them in my life. And so I believe that God has given me a word this morning to encourage you. And so I'm really excited to share it with you today. So I'm going to just read out our main text for the morning. It's 1 Corinthians 12. And, you know, if you've read the Bible, you probably know that this is like the key passage when it comes to spiritual gifts, right? Like this is kind of the one that we open with a lot of the time. But let's read it again. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given. Hear that. To each is given. Every one of us who are baptized in the Spirit, each of us are given gifts. That is so cool, right? What a privilege. God doesn't just save us, baptize in the Spirit, but he gives us gifts that we can use and use to contribute to him. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what they're for. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As we begin today, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak and that you would do what only you can do. God, we offer our hearts, we offer our minds, we offer our ears, God, our spiritual ears to you this morning. Lord, we want to hear for what you want to say, but God, we don't want to be just hearers of the word, but we want to be doers. So God, have our heart today. Mold us as you will. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So who here, quick poll, has ever seen the TV show The Mole? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, a few of us. A few of us, all right. So The Mole originally aired in the early 2000s, but there is 
for people who haven't caught it yet or, you know, you want to go through it again. There is a series right now on Netflix of The Mole. And so Nate discovered it in our household and he's like, oh, I think you'll love this because I'd never seen The Mole really before then. Like I saw the commercials but never really went into it. But it's totally my jam because I love challenges. I love living vicariously through people who uh, get to travel and take on crazy challenges. <laughs> I, I probably shared with some of you that running wild with Bear Grylls was my recent favourite. Um, and so I love to live vicariously through these kinds of TV shows and just picture myself scaling those mountains and cracking those codes and, you know, flying across the world and all this kind of stuff. So it's totally my thing. And what I thought... Um, well, what I love as well about the mole, or so I thought, was the teamwork involved in it. I loved it. From the first episode, like, they all land in... They came to Australia this time, just spoiler alert. Um, so it's a US TV show, but they flew into Australia. This is where the mole happened. So cool. But they fly in, they descend into this jungle, and they all like meeting, greeting one another. And then they got to get straight into their first challenge. Like they don't have much time at all to really get to know one another. But one of the first things that they do is to identify, obviously like, exchange names and everything, but they identify each other's gifts and abilities and skills. So straight away, you know, a map is involved, they've got to uh, go find this thing out in the jungle, and so they're saying, okay, you, you look like you've got endurance, you can be the runner. You, you look like you can handle maps. Kind of funny, because the person that they gave it to could not handle it. So bad, Lauren, so bad. <laughs> hilarious. Um, but so they, they divvy these responsibilities and tasks up, right? And so they go and they, you know, they conquer these challenges and they do so well as a team and they're all leaning on each other's strengths and gifts and abilities. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see. But then plot twist for someone who didn't really know much about them all, like halfway through the series, they all of a sudden just turn on each other and they go from like working as a team, leaning on each other's strengths and gifts and abilities to like being savage beasts towards one another. It's crazy. There was this one, okay, this is going to be a spoiler alert, but I don't care. I have to tell you this. This is how bad it gets. So there was this one challenge, right, where the team, and there was probably about seven or eight maybe of them at that time, but they were chained up. They're literally on this chain gang. They were chained up in this cold warehouse at night and each of them obviously there was a lock they were chained to it and then there was this little kind of device that almost like a cage that would open and close every so few minutes but there would be a key in there obviously to unlock the locks but then there'd be an exemption card right next to the key so the exemption card, right, if they were to take that instead it meant that they couldn't be voted out or couldn't be evicted when, you know, judgment time came. So essentially, that was like a get out of jail free kind of a card, right? But the catch was this, that if you took the key and undid yourself and put it back, then the game would continue and each person one by one could set themselves free. And if they worked as a team, they could add 10K, 20K, whatever it was, to their pot, right? And so, but if they took the exemption, the game would stop Whoever was left, they were left to sleep on the cold, hard floor, chained up overnight, and the person who took the exemption card, they got to be free, obviously, and go to a five-star hotel that night. But then the money was sacrificed. Nothing. They'd get zero, zilch, okay, in the pot. 
So there's one girl who played it super cool throughout the whole thing. She's really like, everyone has sort of begun to trust her. They're like, yeah, for sure, she should go first because we know she is not going to take the exemption card. She would not leave us on this cold floor, chained up overnight while she goes and lives it up. We can trust her. I won't give away the name, but we can trust her. And so, sure enough, they inch her close to the cage. The timer goes off, the cage opens, she gets the key, sets herself free, puts the key back, and then she turns back to the chain gang and she gives them like the creepiest smirk ever. She's just like, I've got you. And she reaches back in, grabs the exemption, and walks out of the warehouse. I'm like, what? You were the trusted one. Everyone trusted you and you know, you would be so generous with your gifts and your abilities, but then you just turned. You became this person that like, and everyone, everyone was like, I cannot believe she did that. I cannot believe it. And so this TV show broke my heart in that moment. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing, they're working great as a team, these challenges are awesome, they're, they're just like dominating and adding so much to the pot. And then there was this moment of just absolute sabotage and a self-centeredness from that point on crept into the players. They were like, right, she has kicked the ball into game. We are now no longer players on the same team. We are enemies. We are going to be self-centered. We're going to be selfish with our gifts and our abilities and our skills. And we are not going to lend it to other people. We're not going to share what we know. We're not going to share uh, what we're good at. We're not going to give our strengths to the team. We're in it for ourselves. You know, what was really interesting about watching that episode is that as I was reading through 1 Corinthians 12, Paul basically, possibly without, no, maybe with the attitude, I don't know, who knows, but Paul had to actually face this uh, dilemma with the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about this. Let's have a look. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, right, to the church, but he's, he's sensing this need to actually uh, keep them informed or realign them with some truth. So, so what was happening around this time that made him feel that way? Basically, there was this group called the Sophists. I don't know whether they like worship sofas or something like that, what they did. Do you like my dad joke? It's so good. Um, but there was this group called the Sophists, right? And they would travel around to different churches and they would basically be spreading their doctrine. Like That's kind of what they did. But they were like the most self-centered people. They would not serve anyone, they were proud, they demanded respect, and they just wouldn't lend a hand. They were basically in uh, church circles for themselves and what they could gain. Absolutely selfish and self-centered. And what Paul started to see was that this culture was starting to pervade the church in Corinth. And so Paul's like, nah, -uh, we've got to bring some realignment here to what spiritual gifts are actually about. Because this group, if this culture takes on, we are not going to be able to be the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church that he's coming back for. If we become self-centered and selfish like this, 
then basically all of our work will you know, be destroyed. It will equate to nothing. So that's what was going on. And so Paul, in the beginning of uh, his letter to the Corinthians in this particular chapter, he uses the word spiritual gifts very deliberately because he wants to re-educate the church. This is what these are about. Today, we've come to know the word spiritual gifts, the phrase spiritual gifts. We kind of use it in a bit of a cliche way. We can get so familiar with it, right? And so we've probably all have some preconceived ideas to what that concept means, but Paul in his writing, he was, he was re-educating, he was saying, okay, let's take a step back, let's just, let me teach you again what this phrase spiritual gifts actually means. And so let's break it down this morning. So this phrase that Paul used was regularly used to translate two Greek words, and I apologise, I didn't actually put a PowerPoint together for this, so hope you can follow on. Hopefully these words are a little bit familiar to you anyway. Um, good old Greek words that we use. Um, but the two Greek words that Paul was actually communicating here was one, charismata, or charis is often, you know, the version that we know, and pneumatica. I love that. I feel like it's almost like an exotic name. I could name my daughter Pneumatica. Um, but these are the two words, charismata and pneumatica. And charismata, what that meant was the expression or manifestation or embodiment of grace. That's what charismata means. And so what does grace mean here specifically? Because again, I think it's a word that we use in cliche ways and we kind of apply it to all sorts of things that perhaps maybe isn't even grace but in this um, specific scenario he was reminding the church that grace is God's saving action through Christ and the gift of eternal life. We were singing about it in the first song, Salvation is Here. That's what Paul was bringing to remembrance when using this, this phrase spiritual gift and so it's about God's saving action through Christ and the gift of eternal life. Now pneumatica, what that meant was the expression, so again very similar to charismata, but the expression or manifestation or embodiment of spirit. And so this describes various things and acts and people as spiritual or as manifesting the spirit or serving as the instrument of the spirit. And so if we were to put those two phrases together, charismata and pneumatica, the definition that we would come up to is whatever thing, event or individual serves as an instrument of the spirit or manifests the spirit or embodies the spirit is a spiritual gift. Whatever event, word or action that is a concrete expression of grace or serves as a means of grace is a spiritual gift. And so spiritual gifts in our context it are a manifestation of grace by the working of the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual gifts are. You know, we, we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and we think that uh, sometimes it's an exhaustive list, that um, basically what Paul lists there, these are the manifestations of grace and there's nothing else. But get this, as I was researching this, it actually... Um, there was a wider context to this. So as Paul was talking about spiritual gifts to the Corinthian church, they were actually, yes, they were informed about the list in 1 Corinthians 12, but their history uh, gave them stories and events 
and different ideas of what spiritual gifts could be as well. And so I want to share some of those with you because this just blew my mind. So it can be, spiritual gifts can be a particular word or act, and I think that's something that we really rely heavily on today. Like that's something that, that's our go-to today, right? But for them, it could be the law as well, could be a spiritual gift. It could be the manna, water from the rock, and the rock itself in the wilderness wanderings of Israel. So all of these things to the Israelites were spiritual gifts. It could be the resurrection body of Christ, that's what he could be referring to, and unspecified blessings in the heavenly places. I love those vague scriptures sometimes, but, and that one's Ephesians 1, 3. But that, for them, that was, a, um, that was a manifestation of grace. It can be particular insights into the divine will. It can be songs in worship. Songs in worship, right? I don't know about you, but today there was a manifestation of grace by the work of the Holy Spirit through these beautiful vessels known as our musicians and song leaders. And Jesse, the man at the back over there. Manifestation of grace through you guys. It can be individuals, like I just mentioned. So there, there are these spiritual ones found in 1 Corinthians 2 and Galatians 6. Or it can be things, these spiritual gifts found in Romans as well and earlier on in, in 1 Corinthians. And then there are spiritual powers in heaven, Ephesians 6, 12. These are spiritual gifts. But you know the thing that blew my mind was that I would look at that 1 Corinthians 12 list and think that's all there is. But for these guys, they had a whole history of spiritual gifts came in all shapes, all sizes, all forms. And so they had, they had this picture of spiritual gifts. So Paul, in using the language spiritual gifts, that's what he's wanting to communicate, but he doubles down in it because in the very next v- few verses, he reiterates this again, but there's something else that I want you to catch through this. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifest of the Spirit for the common good. So you can see almost immediately, right? Paul uses varieties a lot and he uses the same God a lot, right? What is he trying to get across here? He's trying to get across the fact that I've just said, you know, I've jogged your memory in terms of the history of what spiritual gifts look like. And again, there are varieties. There are so many manifestations of grace that are happening always all around us. And guys, this is so much bigger than us. That's what I believe Paul was saying to the church. This is so much bigger than us. And he kept on bringing back, it's the same God, it's the same God, because what the church needed to come back to was that spiritual gifts were bigger than them. It's not something they can manipulate and control, but it was also God. It was His will. It's His grace, and it's by His Spirit that uh, uh, we we can operate in spiritual gifts. It all comes back to Him. And so what I started to be challenged on, I guess, and and I mentioned this before, but I was challenged on the breadth and the depth of spiritual gifts. That sense of like, God, this is so much bigger than me, elicited this fresh awe of God and the fact that I need to be deliberately dependent on you, God, because this, 
this list in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it's not, and for me, my education in spiritual gifts, right, I don't know, probably some people in here with me, but it was based on quizzes online or quizzes that like your youth pastor or your pastor would give you um, that, you know, you answer these different questions and it basically spits out these results to you saying you could have these spiritual gifts and, you know, because uh, this is what happens to you and these are the people that you tend to attract and blah, 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 blah. So that was sort of my, my education into spiritual gifts. And although that was really helpful, and, and I found particularly as a young Christian, it was helpful for me to know my God design. How, you know, what has he placed in me? What are these gifts that he wants to get through me? It was helpful. But what I also started to find was that I started to see them as very black and white. That these were tools that I could learn how to use um, and one by one try cross them off the list. Like, yeah, I want to do all of them, God. Like, I want to be able to operate in all of them. But it started to become this thing that, like every other gift and skill, I guess, I was learning at the time, it, it wasn't, I wasn't depending on God for them. It was, I wanted to do it, not wanted to do it, but I was doing it in my own strength. I just wanted to learn how to use these things so that I could manipulate and control when I was to use them. But Paul here was saying, no, 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 no. You are a cog in this big machine, church. Spiritual gifts, the manifestation of God's grace, that's up to him. And he, (laughs) I love it because it's almost like, Paul was throwing in the face. You remember the rock that God used in, in Israelites' history? If, if you're not willing to be dependent on him and you're not willing to cooperate with him, he will use a rock. He, he, he has no problem using a rock. <laughs> you know, like God doesn't need us, but he chooses to work through us. But it requires a dependence on him. And so that started to really challenge the way that I saw spiritual gifts. It's not a list in 1 Corinthians that I can, you know, over my life, work it out and, um, you know, just be able to control and manipulate. But no, it's, it's something that I can only operate in the gifts of the Spirit if I'm deliberately placing myself dependently on God. I have to have an openness to God. And so I can see why Paul... Um, needed to remind the church of this, needed to bring alignment to this. Because as I just shared, I think for me, and and I know you guys are all saints, so maybe it doesn't apply to you, but certainly other churches, right? Um, You know, other Christians, I'm talking to other Christians. um, But, you know, sometimes we get proud with spiritual gifts, because honestly, like, and I I sat with an unbelieving friend the other day, I'm like, how do I even begin to talk to you about spiritual things when like it's just so out of this world right and so when God invites us and says hey I've given you a spiritual gift automatically it's like yeah I have a spiritual gift use me God like I have a superpower and I feel super powerful and you sort of start to get a little bit of you know like a chip on your shoulder is that the right saying a chip on your shoulder yeah okay uh no All right, we're divided on that. Let's scrap that. I'm going to raise that from the podcast. We start to get a little bit proud. Let's go back to that word, hey? For me, like, I've begun 
like obviously in awe of God. And I was like, God, it's amazing that you would give me these gifts. And, and I'd get so excited to interact with anyone and everyone. And because and, I knew that God wanted to use me to bless them, to serve them, to build up the church for the common good. And that would be something so exciting. And I'd go back from the day and be like, I got to prophesy over this person. And you know, they said it was so accurate for where they were at. I got to speak that word of encouragement and that person then like, I don't know, something happened, but they had this boldness to them. You know, I gave this person a word of knowledge and they just, they just fell down and worshipped God because they're like, nobody else knows that. It must be God. You know, I'd have this humility and this sense of privilege. God, I got to serve you today and I got to serve people today. But then when more opportunities come, you start to sort of see things a bit differently. You know, you start to think... Yep, spiritually gifted one coming through, make room, you know. And you think, okay, I can see, you know, that person praying for that person, but I think I need to lend my spiritual gift and pray for that person too. Because the other person, yeah, they're gifted, but, but I'm more gifted, and so they might get it wrong, but I will get it right, you know, because I'm just so spiritually gifted. And, you know, like, I might be the person that knows how to do everything and, and, and so I, I need to be the one to be there because otherwise nothing's going to work out right. It's all going to fail. It's just going to... Nothing. It's all going to be terrible. You know, we start to think, me, me, me. I, I, I. We start to be self-centred. I, I put Beck in the middle of trying to love people and love God and serve people and serve God with my spiritual gifts. I put myself in the centre. But Paul's like, nah, that's, that's not the way it is. And I love that Paul, because 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about spiritual gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 13, right, he talks about love. Because he knows that as human beings who like get souped up on like, I have a spiritual gift. Look at me. He knows that we need to come back to what's most important. Love being the motive. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... That's really interesting. If I speak in the tongues of men... So I could be using the gift of tongues, or I could be just talking and just trying to encourage someone. But if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, oh my goodness, there are some toys that Sam has that (laughs) makes those noises and it's terrible. Far be it for me to sound like a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that would get me. That would be my pride spot there. But understand the mysteries and have all knowledge. And if I have all faith, you know, that would probably get me too. So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I sacrifice, if I die a martyr's death, but have not love, oh, it was for nothing. I gain nothing. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Sophists. 
It is not irritable or resentful or moles. <laughs> it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, when we are self-centred, like the players on mole, um, our spiritual gifts result in nothing. That's crazy. Because every single day of our lives, every single day we come to church to set up, which, by the way, it's an act of service, it's a spiritual gift, it's beautiful. You're building up the church for the common good. You're a blessing. If we come, do that. If we come and usher people to their seats and welcome them, if we come and play beautiful songs on the band, if we do the tech, if we speak the word of God, but we don't have love as the motivation, it's for nothing. It's for nothing, church. And this is such a conviction for me as I was preparing, preparing this. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for all the opportunities that I missed because my motivation just wasn't aligned with your love for people. I'm so sorry, God. Those moments where you could have done something radical in a person's life or just given them that little bit of courage that they needed. You know, it's small things and it's the significant big things. It all can be a spiritual gift, but God, I'm so sorry for those moments where I've just let those opportunities pass by. I was that gong. I was that symbol. And essentially, I, I didn't build up in the way that you wanted me to. That's what it looks like when we place ourselves at the centre. When we let pride creep in, or perhaps insecurity. For me, it's insecurity. That's the thing that comes up. That's the thing that stops me from loving people because I'm placing myself in the centre and saying, I'm not good enough and what I've brought isn't good enough. But God's saying, get yourself out of the centre, deal with that pride, whether it's you know, narcissism or insecurity, whatever it is, deal with it and come back to love. That's the good news in this passage is that, okay, let's not look back, but let's know that today we can make a commitment to God. Say, God, I choose love. I choose to come here. I don't it doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter how maybe empty I feel. But God, I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose my motivation to be love for your people, for your church, and love for you. Because I know that even if the outcome isn't what I want it to be, if I've done it with love, then I know somehow, God, you're going to work it out that it will build up your church, that it will be used for the common good. Church, that's the privilege that we get. And you know, again, it's not about us, but when we come to God with the humility and say, God, I'm just here to love your people, I'm here to love you, when we use our spiritual gifts to build up the church, we don't go away thinking, oh, whether I failed or like, oh, look at me, how good am I? We go away thinking, God, thank you for the privilege that that was to bless and to serve and to build your kingdom today. And so this morning, church, what I wanted to give us, I guess, today is just a moment where we can actually come back. 
So I can, sorry, a bit late in doing this, but if the band can come and help me, would love your spiritual gift to manifest grace in this moment. But what I sense God wanting to do this morning was bring us back to this place of recommitment. And in particular, I guess those who... Because the thing is this, we don't ever deliberately say, God, I'm coming to church today to hate people. (laughs) Or I'm coming to church today for it to be all about me. It's something that just creeps in. So what I sensed God saying today was that I'm not condemning. The Lord doesn't condemn, right? But he has this gentle way by the work of his spirit to give us grace so that we can actually change. We can have our heart change. And so this morning, church, why don't we stand to our feet? And if this is speaking to you in particular, I just want you to put your hands out as a sign of wanting to receive God's grace to you this morning. To say, yeah, I think I've allowed a little bit of pride to creep in. I often go away thinking, man, I was so good today. (laughs) Or like, you know, church would be nothing without me. (laughs) Like, God, I did that and I didn't need your help. (laughs) You know, if ever you get those little thoughts in your head, come on, this is an opportunity right now. Or maybe if you go away often thinking after you've served someone that you think, God, did I do good enough? And you're obsessing, obsessing, mulling it over and over and over. Did I do it right? Did I get that wrong? Can I submit to you that you've probably placed yourself at the center? And God's saying, come back to love today. That's the motivation. And where the power of this comes in is that we first recognize that we are loved. We are loved. Because when we're proud or we're insecure, it means that we've forgotten that we are loved. So this morning, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We come afresh to you today. We surrender ourselves. We surrender the pride that has crept in. We surrender those voices of insecurity that plague us at times. When God, we just wanna be used by you. We just wanna be your vessels to manifest grace in our church and in our world, God. We just wanna be a part of building up your church. We wanna be a part of bringing good to that common good. And so God, we surrender in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just begin to put your finger on those areas that need a revelation of love, a revelation of grace in our hearts, those things that need to be pruned, need to be taken out. God, I pray that you do that now. And Lord, in this moment, we choose to surrender. We choose to humble ourselves before you, Lord. We remove ourselves We don't wanna be self-centered about this, God, but we want to be your vessels 
that manifest your grace. And so God, in this moment, we open ourselves to you. We thank you that we can be used by you, by the power of your Spirit, if we are open to you. Holy Spirit, help us to be postured like this every day, not just Sundays, Lord, but every day, every moment. And God, I thank you for your word that brings us into realignment with this when we do slip away. God, I thank you for this beautiful gift of repentance that we are doing now. Thank you that we can come back so that we can live out your word, that we can live out this life of baptised in the spirit people, that we can be manifestations of grace to people in our world. So God, we submit to you right now and we thank you, Lord. Yeah, come on, why don't we sing this song? Thank you, Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.